A few months ago, if you were driving around L.A., you would have seen a billboard that was hard to miss. It was a close-up on a woman's face. She had tight, curly hair, eyeglasses, and dark lipstick. She was staring head-on into the camera. And in front of her, she held a peppermint candy with two fingers, her long, manicured nails just out of focus. It took a second to see the blood spatter on her temple. To think that this was anything other than a portrait of an 80s housewife. <laughs> no, it was more sinister than that. I think one of my editors said, oh, Stephanie, you know, you like watching true crime sometimes. Do you want to watch this candy show? And I was like, sure, yeah, whatever. That's Stephanie McNeil. She's a senior culture reporter at BuzzFeed News. I said to myself, I've never heard of this case. I don't know anything about these people. And so I Googled Candy Montgomery, and I was kind of surprised that there really wasn't a lot of stuff on the internet about the case. Candy premiered on Hulu in May of this year, and that billboard, that image, it was Candy. Well, the actress Jessica Biel playing Candy. You see, the thing about the story is, it's based on true events. But first, we should lay out what happened. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen the show, but um, it's about a murder and two friends are involved. One friend, Candy, who is the titular character in the series, kills her friend, Betty Gore. And at the trial, she pleads self-defense, and she's found not guilty. Over the course of five episodes, you see a tale of two households. You have Candy. She's type A, always on top of things. She's attractive, charming, popular. And then there's Betty. Even her physical space is dark. Her life feels drab. She's sewing in a dark room with the blinds drawn. She's despondent over unruly children. She's sad her husband is away so often for work. The viewer feels bad for Betty. And when Candy swoops in to rescue, taking her under her wing, inviting her to things, and hosting a baby shower for her, you think, wow, Candy is nice. I mean, you almost forget that she struck Betty with an axe 41 times. Yeah, that the 41, the 41, 41 times part of it is, it is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to wrap around, certainly. This is Beale talking about the show on the LA Times podcast, The Envelope. Full disclosure, Neon Hum, the publisher of Spectacle, works on The Envelope, too. To me, this has to be a situation where, whether she was provoked or not... This is an out-of-body kind of ability. You know, number one, the strength it takes to actually pick up a tool like that and use that that many times is strikingly challenging. Beale says she wants to believe that Candy Montgomery was triggered and didn't know what she was doing. And then comes to and is like, what have I done? I mean, I still grapple with it, but th that's sort of my, like, mushy artist brain, you know, trying to make sense of how anyone could do that. I agree. It is very hard to wrap your head around. 
And as you can see, Beale feels this need, because she's playing a character, to believe in her character, to believe there's no malicious bone in her body, that she was triggered, disassociative, it couldn't have been intentional. But that's Beale's job. She was assigned the task of playing Candy and telling the entire story of what happened from her perspective, from the perspective of the killer. So Candy is 72 now, and she reportedly works as a mental health counselor. Do you know if she's seen the show yet? No, um, we never had any contact with her while we were shooting, uh, when we were prepping, posting, and now that it's out, nothing. That's not surprising. We were told early on by by her longtime lawyer, or Robert Udishin, who used to be her, her lawyer, um, who I think has stayed uh, friendly with her, that she just doesn't have a public life anymore. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is, she moved on from this time in her life and she's uninterested in going back, which I totally understand and respect. But I have no idea if she's actually seen it or not. In press around the show, Beale has said that neither Candy Montgomery or Betty Gore's family participated in the making of the series. And so the first thing that I thought of was Candy Montgomery, who is still alive by all accounts and has been living in relative obscurity for the past 40 years. You know, she, this situation happened way before the internet. So, you know, she was able to kind of go off the grid a little bit. She must be kind of pissed, right? (laughs) Because now all of a sudden, you know, there are going to be people on the internet being like, well, where's Candy? Digging her up, finding out what's going on, trying to talk to her kids. So that was the first thought that I had is, man, Candy must not be pleased about this. And the second thought I had was, I wonder how the family of Betty Gore, the woman who was killed, how they felt about it. And Stephanie, being a reporter, well, she asked. I thought to myself, you know, maybe I'll just reach out to some of the family members of people who, and or people who knew Betty Gore. And I did, and they were actually very willing to speak to me, which I was surprised by. She spoke to a family member who said they were never approached about the Hulu series or the upcoming HBO Max series. Yes, there's another series coming called Love and Death, starring Elizabeth Olsen as Candy. They had gotten calls here and there over the years for interviews. They usually declined. But there had never been attention like this. Hulu, HBO, A-list actors. They're like, what's going on? And they were just kind of as confused as I was, which, I don't know. I guess that really struck me because I guess I just didn't think about how if something like this happens to you, you don't really have a say on what people do with it. And that's what this episode is about. What happens when your real-life tragedy becomes true crime entertainment? You'll hear firsthand. When Colin Firth was cast as my dad and then quickly the cast was put together, I thought, Oh no, oh no, this is not what he told us was going to happen. This is not what any of us wants. From Neon Hum Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Mariah Smith. 
And this is Spectacle True Crime. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. This year, after successful forays into crime dramas like Mayor of Easttown with Kate Winslet and The Undoing with Nicole Kidman, HBO Max decided to expand its drama repertoire with a series, quote-unquote, inspired by a true story. 1810 Cedar Street. Please. What's wrong? My wife, she had an accident. She's still breathing. What kind of accident? She fell down the stairs. She's still breathing. It's a look into the life of Michael Peterson, a North Carolina novelist thrust into the spotlight after the death of his wife, Kathleen Peterson. That tape was of a 911 call he makes after he finds her at the foot of the stairs in their home, covered in blood and barely responsive. There were 35 cuts and bruises and seven deep lacerations to the scalp. Peterson's involvement would be called into question. Did she fall down the stairs, or was she pushed? Did she die, or was she murdered? We believe Mr. Peterson bludgeoned Kathleen to death and may have strangled her. The cast is star-studded. Colin Firth plays Michael, Tony Collette is Kathleen, Juliette Binoche and Parker Posey are in it. Sophie Turner plays one of his daughters. When I received an email from Antonio Campos, the you know creator of the HBO Max series, he said, Sophie Turner wants to speak with you. She wants to speak with you about the role. Will you talk with her? And I thought, mm, what? This starlet, I'm a wonderful actress, but starlet, wants to talk to me about the most traumatic times in my life. That's Margie Ratliff. So my father, Michael Peterson, was wrongfully convicted of the murder of my mother in 2003. And I'm one of the main participants in the documentary, The Staircase, which is um, 13 episodes of The Staircase are on Netflix. And recently there was an HBO Max series fictionalized that was made um, from the documentary. Margie has had to deal with the subject of her family story for a long time. A lot of people became familiar with the Staircase documentary in 2018 after Netflix got the rights and began streaming it. But that documentary wasn't new. 
The first installment of the French series came out in 2004, just three years after Kathleen's death. The filmmakers had a stellar reputation, having created the Oscar-winning film Murder on a Sunday Morning about the wrongful conviction of a 15-year-old Black boy in Florida. My mom passed away in 2001, and... I think it was the summer of 2001 when I came home from college. Uh, There was a film crew there. It was Jean-Xavier de Lestrade and his filmmaker crew. And I spoke with my dad and his lawyer and they said, hey, this is going to be the best possible thing if we do interviews because we'll have eyes on the judicial system so that it can't be as crooked as it normally is. Margie didn't think twice about helping her dad. She told him she'd do whatever he needed. And so the filmmakers just started filming us and they were around all the time and kind of became a part of our family in a way because they were there so often and were it was they were a nice face to see at the trial every day. I mean the trial went on for months. It was almost a whole semester. I was in college at the time and it was a whole almost a whole semester taken up by the trials. The trial would culminate with a guilty verdict in October of 2003. Michael was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The docuseries would come out the following year. Margie and her siblings hoped that the renewed exposure would help their dad as he appealed his case. I think the filmmakers did a really nice job of getting the feeling for my family getting the feeling of the ebbs and flows of the trial. They were really great at that. The twists and turns of the story as it unfolded, it was a long period of time with lots of things coming out. And I think the filmmakers did a really good job of that. So I do think there was integrity in the film, uh, the original documentary. It got critical acclaim. But for the most part, Margie could live a normal life. She sort of put it out of her mind, to be honest. So I went to college in New Orleans and when Hurricane Katrina hit, that's kind of when everything came out with the staircase. And so I wasn't paying attention, (laughs) honestly. I had other things going on and it would pop up randomly in film school. You know, people would recognize me, but it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. The filmmakers kept covering it even after the series came out flying back and forth covering Michael's hearings, which spanned nearly a decade. In 2011, Peterson was released and put on house arrest after it was discovered that the state's blood spatter analyst lied under oath and a judge ordered a new trial. In 2017, while waiting for the trial, Peterson entered an Alford plea, which is a guilty plea where you assert your innocence, but understand that the evidence against you could persuade a jury to convict. He was given a reduced charge of involuntary manslaughter, but didn't have to serve additional time due to time already served. The French filmmakers did a follow-up in 2012 and another in 2015. Margie thought that was it. In 2018, when I got the call that Netflix was picking up the Staircase documentary and plus the extra episodes, uh, my heart almost stopped. (laughs) Um, And then when I was told it would be shown in almost 200 countries, I thought, oh God, where can I hide? 
Up until then, The Staircase was indie. It aired on Canal Plus and BBC in Europe. On the Sundance Channel, it won a Peabody in 2005, but it was more a critical than commercial success. It wasn't a household name. But Netflix changed all of that. I talked with Netflix's PR and said, hey, how can I protect my family? How can we, you know, stay out of the limelight? This is not good for us and it's going to hurt us. And they were very unhelpful, not surprisingly. At this point, Margie was out of film school and she was working at a startup in Los Angeles. So I think the first year was really tough. I still tried to live my regular life. I had a nine to seven job and luckily very few people bothered me at work and I would just kind of limit my social gatherings. But when she did go out, a strange thing happened. People recognized her. It wasn't just the odd classmate once in a blue moon. It was now just a normal thing. Like she was a celebrity, except she wasn't. I think with celebrities and with actors, that's their job. And so they're happy about, I mean, I I can't imagine that everyone is happy about being recognized all the time. That kind of eats at your soul. But I do think that's their job. But for me, this was a really traumatic time in my life. So at one point, I was sitting watching a sunset at a Mai Tai bar with one of my friends. And this very nice lady came up to me and she couldn't quite place how she knew me. But she kept on saying, did we go to high school together? I feel like I know you. Don't I know you? And so over the years, I've learned how to gracefully, you know, guide the conversation in a way to get the person away from me. (laughs) But it's been a tough, it's been a tough road trying to figure out how to have my own space. What do you say in moments like that? Well, at first, I would say, when I first didn't quite know what to say, you know, I had bright red hair, so I'd say, oh, I'm in Irish spring commercials, and just kind of make up things. At one point, I was at a wedding, and this lady would not leave me alone, and she couldn't place who I was, so I said, oh, I'm in the adult film industry, and I just lied. The lady didn't ask any follow-up questions. It was also hard because Margie was a filmmaker herself. So when she's going to meetings, people are associating her with the documentary. It definitely hurt me with job interviews, unfortunately, because people would make assumptions about me that aren't true because of my involvement in a true crime documentary. Working in the industry did give her a leg up when it came to what would eventually unfold this year. So for the HBO Max series, I knew that Antonio Campos had optioned the rights to the Staircase documentary in 2011. I mean, he might have done it before that, but I met him first in 2011 at my dad's hearing. And I knew that Antonio was trying to make a film. Antonio Campos is a filmmaker. He actually worked on the film Christine about Christine Chubbuck that we mentioned earlier. Craig Silowich, who you heard from in that episode, also worked on the HBO Max series with him. Now, they're not featured in this episode because we thought it's rare to hear from documentary participants in this way, and we wanted to give Margie the space to tell her story. Anyway, Margie says her relationship with Antonio Campos was friendly. They'd meet up for coffee every now and then, talk about their work. He got me a meet and greet with 
uh, Annapurna Interactive when I was making video games. And so we had just an amiable relationship over the years. Margie says when they talked, the film was framed as this meta look at the making of such a laborious documentary. She thought, oh, it's not really about us as a family. She expected her dad would be a character, but not the focus. And then, I think it was 20, maybe 2018, when Antonio called me. I had just met him for coffee, and he didn't say anything. And then he called me while I was at work and said, oh, it just leaked that Harrison Ford is going to play your dad. We just got greenlit. And I said, wait, what? Harrison Ford. Like Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Harrison Ford. And that's when I kind of prickled and said, wait, wait, wait a second. Harrison Ford, what's going on here? If Harrison Ford was playing her dad, her dad isn't going to be some small side character. He was going to have a starring role. Harrison Ford would eventually drop out. He had an Indiana Jones movie to film. No, seriously. And Michael Peterson would now be played by Colin Firth, the British actor of Bridget Jones' diary fame. And then quickly the cast was put together. I thought, oh no, oh no, this is not what he told us was going to happen. This is not what any of us wants. Margie says she was given a chance to talk to the writers on the show. They asked me, hey, we want to know what your mom was like, what Kathleen was like. And I had always felt like the original Staircase documentary, they respected my mom, but it it always just kind of made her seem like a, a weak victim. And my mom was not that. She was a corporate executive. She was a powerhouse. She was wonderful. And so I agreed to talk to the writers because I thought, okay, maybe here's our chance to show my mom in a true light. I mean, if that's all I can do for her legacy, I'm going to do it. And when I talked to the writers, it felt disgusting. She says the writers started prodding her about conspiracy theories about the case. Theories that the state had disproved. So, essentially, they were pushing theories around her mother's death that weren't based in any evidence. As if her mom is just a character, wasn't a real person. And also, like, you're peddling these theories to a child about their dead parent? Like, for real? And so I even went back to Antonio after, and I said, wait, 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 I don't like any of this. This is not going in the truth direction, and I'm not okay with this. Margie found herself in a very strange situation. Those coffees, her relationship with Antonio, it gave her a certain sense of comfort about the project. But the reality was, she and her family had no say in how the hardest moments in their lives would be portrayed on screen. And unlike the original Staircase documentary, there was less of a desire to get it right. This was a drama. It was scripted. It wasn't about exposing the American judicial system or documenting one of the longest trials in North Carolina history. It was entertainment. More on that next. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? 
Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it. Been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. Michael Peterson, Margie's dad, and his subsequent trial were the focus of the first documentary. But in the HBO Max series, her mother Kathleen is featured prominently. And obviously, that took some creative license. I thought I would bring my producer Joanna Clay in to talk about it. So I found an interview from around the time the series premiered, the articles in Entertainment Weekly, and it's kind of interesting because the headline is about how hard it was to cast Michael Peterson, but the deck or the subhead is how crucial Tony Collette is to the series. And Tony Collette is the actress who plays Kathleen. Right. And Campos says in this article, I quote, Kathleen is not someone that people know, and there's not footage of her, and there's not audio of her. I mean, obviously, people did know Kathleen, and there's photos and videos of her and things like that. But I think what Campos is saying is he didn't get the rights to those. He got the rights to the documentary, and the documentary was made after her death. Exactly. And, you know, if you want to play devil's advocate in the series, the HBO Max series, Kathleen is very much a three-dimensional character. Like Margie was saying, she was this powerful businesswoman, which is something, you know, you just don't get from the documentary. And she's clearly dedicated to her work and her marriage. Um, Like in episode two, when Michael has a campaign fundraiser, Michael was running to be the mayor of Durham, and she goes from, like, boss mode at work to boss mode at home, making sure everything is perfect for his big night. You guys, so just through to the dining room. Yes, ma'am. Sure, right away. Michael, will you please grab my shoes? So their marriage is obviously a key part of this series, and... To illustrate that, the filmmakers had to make some assumptions. A big issue that kind of bubbles up to the surface is money. That Kathleen is the breadwinner and that there's some bitterness around Michael's contribution financially in their relationship. And it kind of comes to a head in this scene at a restaurant. Um, Kathleen is stressed after a bad day at work. Her company is struggling. And it's kind of awkward because this dinner is supposed to be celebratory. Michael just had one of his books optioned. Yes, and he's kind of hoping this will take some pressure off of her and her work. I have to tell you something. Shoot. I mean, I thought you would have already known, but, um, our stocks? Nortel? It's all gone. Everything's gone. And Kathleen in this scene is, she's kind of breaking down. She's like, all those long nights and business trips and sacrifices I made, they were all for naught. Yeah, and the thing that's important about this scene in my mind is that it's establishing this friction in their marriage. 
And during the trial, one of the motives, not the key motive, but one of the motives proposed by the prosecution was that he murdered her for money over an insurance policy. But the thing is, this scene at the restaurant is made up. Like, legit, it never happened. Right. I mean, and that's what's crazy about dramatizing real-life stories, like Stephanie talked about with Candy and Margie talks about with her family. In both cases, they were working off one perspective. In Candy, they're working off what Candy said to police and during the trial and with the Staircase series on HBO. They're working off the perspective of the documentary filmmakers. And that's just a starting point, like, because in both cases, they are open about fictionalizing the story and filling in those gaps and holes. Yeah, I think working on this episode and talking to Margie made me reflect a lot on my own consumption of true crime and inspired by a true story dramas, because I saw both the documentary and the HBO Max series before we had interviewed her. And I will say I found them both really compelling. And it wasn't until after I watched the HBO show and talked to Margie that I really reflected and was like, wow, why why aren't we questioning our consumption of this more? And it is really easy to just get sucked into this idea of true crime as entertainment like we've talked about. Yeah, and I think what especially kind of got me when I looked back on the HBO Max series is just how in the series they reenact Kathleen's fall down the stairs. They present various theories of what happened to her and they reenact you know, the scene multiple times. And it's really gruesome. And I just can't imagine if that was my parent, just knowing that existed in the world. I'm right there with you. And you actually talked to Margie about that. So a reporter tipped off to my dad, hey, there are three different dramatizations of Kathleen's death that are bloody and gory and awful. And at least one of them implicates that my dad did it, which is not true. And I remember I was on my lunch break from set and I was directing a big crew and I got my dad's email and I shut myself in our little production office and I just sobbed. And being able to put yourself in Margie's shoes also makes watching Sophie Turner in the series truly hit different. Like, you start kind of rewinding all these moments in your mind, and you're like, wait, so that didn't happen. Yeah, like, in the series, her relationship with her sister Martha is a big thing. There's a subplot about her sister's queer identity or them discussing their biological mother who had died in Germany. And that is a whole other thing we won't get into now, but if you watch the doc, you know they were adopted by Michael after their mother's death. It's just crazy to imagine there being a series out there where people playing you with your name, acting out whole conversations and fights with your siblings for the world to watch. Yeah, or even the storyline in the series about Margie looking into her and Martha's biological mom in Germany. Their aunt tells them Michael tried to give Martha up. He wanted... To keep you and give her to me. (laughs) But I I refused. I knew what it was like to lose a sister. Hold on, hold on. So you're saying that dad... Dad wanted to split us up? Yes. After talking to Margie and realizing they had basically zero involvement, you're like, wow, 
these conversations, it's all speculation. None of us watched it. None of us. I don't actually know about my brother, Todd, but he probably didn't watch it. I can't imagine. But I did hear that there's a lot of fighting between the siblings and between the characters who play my sister and me. And I, for that, it's almost like I laugh because that is the exact opposite of what happened. I mean, we might have been fighting siblings just before or after the trial, but during the trial, we were so focused on helping dad, of making sure dad was okay, making sure we were okay. It must be really hard to feel like the lives of the people closest to you, your mom, your dad, your siblings, that their stories are being twisted and told in a way to grab viewers, while you mourn the tragedy that changed your life in real time. I said, you know what, I'm just going to take back my story. Remember back in 2018 when Margie found out that Netflix would air The Staircase? Well, she was nervous. She called Netflix PR. And... She also called a friend, another filmmaker. And I said, hey, let's just film what happened. And so we started a four-year process of making our own documentary that talks about the ethics of documentary filmmaking. The result is Subject, a documentary that premiered at Tribeca Film Festival this year, where it was nominated for Best Documentary. The film, which unfortunately isn't available to stream just yet, follows five well-known documentaries, including The Staircase, but also The Wolf Pack, capturing the Freedmen's The Square and Hoop Dreams. So, very different stories, all five of us, and we were all co-producers on the film, so we all had a big hand in telling the story. And that's unique for a doc, that the participants were a part of the making of it. When asked what advice she has for documentarians out there wrestling around these ethical dilemmas, she says the key thing is transparency. Where do you think you'll get distribution? Where do you think the progress of the film is going to go? And being honest about what film you're making. I got to talk with Howard Baskin from the Tiger King series, the documentary, and he and Carol were told that it was going to be a blackfish for big cats. That's what they were told. At least that's what he told me. And I can easily see how that happens. Okay, Tiger King was definitely not blackfish for big cats. And it's just being honest (laughs) is the best thing you can do for your participants. So, And also figuring out if they're going to give you a good chunk of their time There are ways to do compensation that still keeps it ethical. You know, paying for electricity bills, giving them points at the end of the film. There's so many different ways to to think about advocating for your participants in a way that keeps them part of the film and not just these subjects out there that everyone can make decisions on. Margie is back in the limelight, this time for something different. She's still approached about the staircase, though, and she's decided to pivot on her response. And I said, you know what? I don't want to play games anymore. I'm just going to name it, say, yes, I'm from the Netflix documentary, The Staircase. And um, thank you for your recognition of me. I hope it was a positive experience watching it for you. And it's about a traumatic time in my life. So I don't want to talk about it, but have a lovely day. 
next time on Spectacle. Forensics. You know, fingerprints, blood spatter, tool marks. Unless you're a cop, your experience with forensics is probably through TV. Through Bones, Law & Order, or maybe CSI. Investigators are measuring bite marks or sending hair off for analysis, or maybe determining time of death from a maggot? Pupa stage three. English. I'm not an entomologist either. The third stage of larva metamorphosis. This guy's been dead seven days. Turns out, aside from DNA, it's all bunk. And it would be bad if it were just popularized on TV, even though there's zero scientific evidence for things like forensic dentistry or tool mark analysis, it's still used today in courts around the country and putting people behind bars. And one of the real scary aspects of contemporary criminal legal proceedings is the increasing use of proprietary forensic techniques in criminal trials. And these companies are not in the business to advance justice. They're in the business to make money. Some of these cases ended up on shows like Forensic Files, a true crime show that portrayed forensic evidence as the linchpin in tough cases, the silver bullet for prosecution. But in reality, many of those cases were flawed from the start. That's next time. Spectacle True Crime is a production of Neon Hum Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It's hosted by yours truly. Our showrunner is Joanna Clay. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Liz Sanchez is our associate producer. Sound design by Hans Dale Shee. Original music by Asha Ivanovich. Additional cues from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Our fact checker is Stephen Crichton. Special thanks to Carla Green, Shara Morris, and Catherine St. Louis. I'm Mariah Smith. See you next week. <laughs>